Now is the time to embrace a new wave of workers. Every day, your team grows younger, more digital, and more drawn to entirely new ways of working, which means you need flexible solutions to connect them where business gets done. T-Mobile for Business was born digital. With America's largest 5G network, we can make it easier to work together from virtually anywhere. Your team may be changing, but with the right tech, it can be more productive than ever before. Get started at T-Mobile.com slash now. At Morgan Stanley, old school hard work meets bold new thinking. At 88 years old, we still see the world with the wonder of new eyes, helping you discover untapped possibilities and relentlessly working with you to make them real. Old School Grit, New World Ideas, Morgan Stanley. To learn more, visit morganstanley.com slash why us. Investing involves risk. Morgan Stanley Smith Barney, LLC. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. Up to one of my friends. I'm just trying to help you save some money. My job, not just to entertain, but to educate, teach. Call me. 1-800-743-CBC. Tweet at Jim Kramer. Sometimes, sometimes it's all about which side of the ball you're on. This morning, the offense was on the field from the moment the bell rang. When the S&P and the Nasdaq were in a foot race to see which could rise faster. But just when it looked like the Nasdaq rally would continue for an eighth straight day, the whole market simply fell apart. Turns out the offense had a false start. Hence this zebra outfit and my yellow flag. And the rest of the day was game over with the once mighty Dow leading the down leg again off 614 points. S&P not far behind, down 1.56%, while the Nasdaq held up slightly better, I guess. Declining just 1.24%. The house of pain. What happened? Did the offense jump too soon? Simple. We realized that when a company lays off tons of people, Wall Street no longer considers it a good thing. Before the opening, Microsoft announced it was laying off 10,000 people. At first, the market seemed to rejoice, as it did when Meta fired people at Salesforce after that. But then it seemed to dawn on people that, unlike those two others, we never really expected Microsoft to have a problem. They, they never fumble. Ball! Sure, a couple weeks ago, CEO Satya Nadella said he would seize tougher times ahead. But who doesn't? So Microsoft stocks goes from up $2 to down more than $4 by the end of the day. Talk about someone jumping. You got to throw, you know what? You just want to flag. $5 penalty, repeat first down. The simple fact is that when a company is well run as Microsoft starts laying off people, it is not a good sign. Microsoft's long been viewed as one of the most tremendously stable growers out there. they got a hammerlock in the enterprise, the consumer, along with the most robust cloud infrastructure platform aside from Amazon. Microsoft's supposed to be a lot more consistent than the bloated tech outfits that desperately need to cut costs. All those ridiculous enterprise software companies that came public in the last years. But apparently they had more in common than we thought. Plus, it came at the worst possible time. Right when we began to hear from CEOs at Davos calling for a mild recession. Oh, I love that. Mild. I think it's mild unless you get laid off. That's not so bad. Brian Moynihan said on last Friday's earnings call that his firm's baseline scenario was a mild recession. But he spent much more time emphasizing the positive. 
But in an interview on CNBC this morning, he sounded much more cautious. Maybe it was just the right thing to say. After all, last night, Scott Kirby, CEO of United Airlines, reported a phenomenal quarter. But he also said a mild recession might be in the forecast. Talk about a buzzkill. You all got hit with a peak to trough almost $5 penalty. I think we could have overlooked these negatives if it hadn't come into a session all bowled up because we got some weaker economic data this morning. The producer price index, retail sales, showing a nice kind of soft landing and development. That caused the bond market to ignite, sending interest rates dramatically lower, which is normally great news for stocks. On the vast majority of days, a big move down in interest rates would, would make traders dive headfirst into the stock market. That was also part of the illegal procedure opening. The simple fact, though, is we weren't just dealing with an exodus from tech this time. Almost every single safety stock imploded, too, and they did so while the CEOs of Coca-Cola and PepsiCo were telling our own Sarah Eisen all systems go while they hobnobbed at Davos. Why not? Their businesses are doing great. But when you catch a rotation out of all stocks and into treasuries, as we saw today, a rare rotation, it could absolutely get your head spinning faster than Reagan's in The Exorcist. So what happens now? Well, first, I got to tell you, the bears, oh, they will be out in full force tomorrow. I mean, they'll say we've reached the tipping point, the slash topping point, where bad news is no longer good news. Remember that whole mantra about the, keeping the Fed at bay so that they'll raise rates less aggressively? But at a certain point, bad news is simply um, bad news. A signal that the economy is getting much worse and you need to get out of stocks until there's an all clear. We'll also have to endure everyone from the Chartists who say we've reached the ceiling to the VIX folks saying we've grown too complacent to the strategists who will find it quite easy to say, I told you so. When the 10-year Treasury yield plunges from 3.55% to 3.37% in a day, a truly gigantic move, that's not a sign of strength for stocks, just bonds. I want to call it a legendary flight to safety. You know what's really crazy? We went from looking for a soft landing at 9.30 a.m. to looking for a crash landing at 10.30 a.m. As both the stocks and bonds started trading like we were headed for a nasty recession. Definitely not a mild one. Second, though, and this is the point I'll make at our 12 noon investing club meeting tomorrow, and I hope you will attend. Right now, the market's working off one of the most overbought conditions we've had in ages. In the last two weeks, we simply rallied too far too fast. It's not that everything's horrible, which is how it looked today. It's just that they're not all as white and rosy as they looked in the NASDAQ yesterday in the last six days before. I think the truth lies somewhere in between. Consider where the weakness has been. Are you hearing about big layoffs in the banks? No. J.P. Morgan Bank of America said terrific things. Wells Fargo has its own set of problems, and it's shrinking some of its footprint, which is a big positive given how poorly run the place was. But let's just recognize that despite Bank of America's buying money and its newfound caution, those were very, very good numbers. The banks were on fire. As I mentioned, United Airlines had very good numbers. J.B. Hunt, the nation's fourth largest trucker, had awful numbers, but talked about the end of an inventory correction, and that's a gigantic positive, as you'll hear later in the show. Vast swaths of the economy are holding up just fine. The problem lies in tech, and as I've been telling you for months on end, it's a problem. We have too many enterprise software companies, too many companies that teach you how to code, or how to code lightly, or how to organize and to analyze data, or how to use the cloud, or create new verticals, or break down new verticals, or break down old verticals, on-premise, off-premise, any-premise. I think we have a couple of weeks to of a, let's call it a period of consolidation. As we get rid of the weak-handed investors, we certainly washed out those who got carried away and committed personal fouls, like buying Bitcoin above 20,000 or fooling around in meme stocks that might not even be stocks much longer. Hey, by the way, I was thrilled to see a piece of brokerage research call out the spectacular movement in Bitcoin as one that occurred on small volume. 
The analyst didn't use the word sham or manipulation as it's been moved up by charlatans who ply these chimerical wares. Those players need to be thrown out of the game, be carted off the field with, with fans cheering an invective of alchemy. In the end, what can I say? It's overdone. The Bears tried to sell in the last half hour so they can avoid tomorrow's horrible opening. Just like the Bulls were slaughtered today after the beautiful opening. Bottom line, just remember, there was too much joy in the field coming in. There was a lot of unnecessary celebrations. Way too much taunting. When the taunters are ushered out and the last of the celebrities are gone, we can return to normal. Fairly good market. But it's going to take a few days. Too many people caught on the wrong side of the ball. Ann in Indiana, Ann. Hey, Jim. Thanks so much for taking my call. Of course. I'm a very happy club member. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, thank you. Thank you. But I feel sort of confused about Constellation. You know, I understand the numbers. I understand what Bill Newland said about, you know, watching now their price increases since they were losing some share and this whole the class structure change. Yet he's always so positive. He's such a great salesman. Well, what's happened is that uh, and yeah, we own it. You'll hear this tomorrow on the show. I was talking about it with Jeff Marks before. And is that uh, California weather is bad. Uh, and a lot of sales are in California for Constellation. That's Modelo and Corona. And it's the weather. And I don't know what to do about the weather, but I intend to own this stock for a long, long time for the trust. And I suggest that we have to weather these storms and buy more if it goes down much more. But thank you for the kind comments. And I'll see you at the club meeting tomorrow. How about Damu in California? Damu. Hey, Jim. Um, I have a question about the company Square. The ticker symbol is SQ. It's a little down yeah. today, but I bought a lot at 180. I bought even more at 130. I bought even more at 80. Did I make a mistake or should I buy more at where it's at now? Um, I think you could buy more at 60 and then maybe a little more at 50, as this is a $43 billion company that is not worth $43 billion. I'm sorry to be so uh, tough about it, but you know I do not like tech. Okay, when the last of the celebrators are gone, we can return to normal. It's a fairly good market, but right now, we got a lot of guys who were caught offsides, and a lot of guys we just got to throw out of the game. Man Money tonight, we covered the beneficiaries of COVID recovery, but what sectors are struggling to return to normal? I'm going to give you my take. Then the market is coming to the year high, but which way could earnings season swing the trajectory? I'm going off the charts to find out. And JP Hunt, Big Trucker, found itself down in the pre-market after its report, but after creeping higher throughout the day. What should you make of the post-earnings action? Let's do a primer. I'm taking a close look at the numbers, so stay with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at CNBC.com or give us a call at 1 800 743 CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. Resourceful small business owners know how to get value from the purchases they already make for their businesses each month. The Enhanced American Express Business Gold Card is designed to take your business further. 
It's packed with benefits and features, like four times membership rewards points that automatically adapt to your top two eligible spending categories every month on up to $150,000 in purchases per year. So you earn more where your business spends the most. Plus up to $395 in annual statement credits on eligible business purchases at select shipping, food delivery, and retail subscription merchants. And with flexible spending capacity that adapts to your business and access to 24-7 support from a business card specialist, you can continue to run your business with confidence. The Amex Business Gold Card, now smarter and more flexible. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Enrollment required. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. Support for this program is provided by Chevron. Demand for energy is projected to continue rising in the future. To help keep up, Chevron is increasing their U.S. oil and gas production, and they're innovating to help do it responsibly across their operations, including their Gulf of Mexico facilities, which are some of the world's lowest carbon intensity operations, helping supply energy that's affordable, reliable, and ever cleaner. That's energy in progress. Learn more at chevron.com slash meeting demand. All week, we're running a new series, one I really like, uh, where we try to make sense of how the world changed in the aftermath of the COVID-19 pandemic. Since COVID, since COVID, you know how people talk. We've now had roughly a year since the last major wave, the Omicron strain, and that's enough time to assess the difference. Last night, we highlighted the many post-COVID winners because the pandemic has left America with a life-is-too-short mentality. So we've got a boom in travel and live entertainment, restaurants and gyms. People are desperate to get out of the house, go places, see things, do stuff. But we've also got plenty of post-COVID losers, the groups that have been left behind by the society-wide transformation of the last two years, and it's major. Some of these are obvious, like the Office of Real Estate Investment Trust. Apparently, every business wants people to come back to work in person because it's, it's more efficient. But there's only so much you can do because white-collar work has changed permanently. We figured out how to do it best at home. Too many people want to go remote now that they know they can get away with it or do better. I'm willing to see the other side. So tons of businesses have adopted what's called a hybrid model, where people only need to show up three or four days a week. I like to show up seven days, uh, but I'm different. Maybe that changes the Fed rate as the Fed raises interest rates, spurring mass layoffs. And we don't want that. But for now, it's reality. And the persistence of remote or hybrid work translates into structurally lower demand for office space, particularly center city office space. That's obliterated the office REIT stocks. Boston Properties was trading at the 140s for the pandemic. And in a new 13-year, not week, year low of $64 early this month, although it's bounced since then. Vernado's gone from the 60s to around 20 over the same period. That's incredible. That's always been a source of tremendous strength, that stock. Yes, so green. How about this? Plunged from above 100 to a 13-year low of $32 last month. They had a particularly door investor day in early December, where they issued an awful full-year 2023 forecast. They're talking about generating $5.30 to $5.60 of funds from operations this year. That is down more than 20% from what they're expecting for 2022. Hey, so green even cut its dividend by 13%. When a REIT cuts its dividend, look, I'm not going to tell you you can, can't come back from it, but that's a really bad sign. What, what, what can they do? 
Well, you don't want to own office space in a world where there's simply less demand for offices. They could rally today because some will see the REITs as a great alternative to the wild and crazy bond market with interest rates that plummeted to, to unexpected levels on this morning's weak data. But I don't want you to overstay your welcome. Yeah, I know you can only get 3 4 3 5% on a treasury, but these ain't treasuries. If you want to read some good dividends, you've got much better options than the ones than the uh, office space. So, uh, boy, you know, I have to tell you, these are companies I've really loved over the years. But since COVID, all right, who else finds themselves on the wrong side of the post-COVID world? Well, the meme stock crowd, the self-professed apes, whatever that meant, probably don't want to hear this. But the movie theaters. They just haven't recovered. Even though live entertainment is booming, movies seem to be a totally different story. We now have the final box office numbers for 2022, and they are pretty discouraging. North America box office receipts came in at a paltry $7.4 billion last year. That was up 64% year over year from 2021. But remember, in 2021, COVID was still a full blast. Nobody wanted to go out. That $7.4 billion number is still down 36%. From pre-pandemic levels. Now, when you think about it, how many companies have recovered that badly? So after hanging on for more than two years since the onset of the pandemic, Cineworld, the owner of Regal Cinemas, finally filed for bankruptcy protection in September of last year. Cinemark finished last year down 46%. Even after bouncing over the past couple of weeks, the stock's off 69% from its pre-pandemic highs. Whoa. Even AMC's entertainment, me, 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 is down slightly versus uh, late 2019. But that's because it's an anointed meme stock with a legion of individual investors who are eager to throw money at this thing no matter what. And AMC has had to take the money. But both AMC and Ape, <laughs> the preferred class of stock they created for these people, especially for the memesters, are down substantially since August. You can't make this stuff up. It's like... You know, a really bad sitcom. That said, maybe the depressed movie theater business is more of a post-COVID hangover, as people still haven't gotten used to going back. J.P. Morgan published a note last week where they recapped the 2022 box office results, actually upgraded Cinemark. While the analysts in question conceded that movie theaters have lagged behind live events like concerts or theme parks, they blamed this on last year's limited film supply. Remember, during the worst days of the pandemic, it was much harder to film anything. Hey, by the way, I think that's why Netflix has such a dearth of good content for most of last year until the new programs finally started hitting as the world went back to normal. Maybe the same is true for the movie business. And that's why J.P. Morgan believes that theater, uh, movie theater stocks can only make a full recovery. Uh, but it might not uh, happen until 2025. I am not so sure, meaning actually I'm not sure. They definitely got a point above, about the limited supply of new films. That's going to change as time goes on. But can we stop kidding ourselves? The movie theater business was in decline for many years before COVID came along. You've got so much stuff and so many ways to watch and stuff at home, so many compelling entertainment options. If all you want to do is look at one of the myriad streaming services where all the great writers and actors keep trying to outdo each other in non-formulaic anti-sequels that I find so exciting. And so do you. I know some better, some things are definitely better watch on the silver screen. But there's no denying that people are coming back to the theaters the same way they're coming back to live entertainment. If you miss a concert, it might be years before you can replicate that experience. I never got to see Sinatra. But if you miss a movie in theaters, just wait a couple of months and you can watch a downgraded version at home. In other words, movies don't benefit from the life is too short theme the way so many other types of entertainment do. Hey, plus, we, we were stuck at home for two years. I bet many people are a little tired of watching TV and movies regardless of the format. They 
want to do actual things. Get out, touch things, do things, see things. It doesn't help the movie theater case that so many people bought giant screens during the pandemic. For a tenth, by the way, of the price they were about a dozen years ago. Popcorn went up, but at a fraction of the cost of theater popcorn, which trades like the price of Ethereum. At least you can eat it, which is a lot more you can do with Ethereum. Finally, and this is the most important point, even if you think we can have a full box office recovery by 2025, the movie theater companies have truly awful balance sheets even including AMC. Cineworld just went under, for heaven's sake. What more do you need to know? This is not a thriving industry. Oh, note to memesters, a balance sheet. I should have, I shouldn't have gone so fast here. A balance sheet is not the same as a bed sheet. It's more of a numbers thing without hospital corners. Although, who's to say if these guys know what a made bed looks like? So while there are tons of industries that are winning in a post-COVID world, we got plenty of losers, too, that have either taken a hit from the persistence of a rope work, like the office reads, or where consumers just haven't come back like the movies. And that's not even getting into all the industries that got huge boosts during the darkest days of the pandemic, only to fall off a cliff as the world went back to normal. Here's the bottom line. Even though we've more or less gotten over COVID, there are some industries that simply haven't recovered, and they may not be able to truly bounce for years to come. The office reads and the movie theater chains are in a structurally, that's, remember, that's the word, structurally worse position coming out of the pandemic than if they were going into it. Other than the clear winners and losers, tomorrow we'll start getting to the more borderline controversial post-COVID stocks. Stay tuned, but remember, uh, since COVID, we don't go to the office as much, and we don't go to the movies as much. Since COVID, Mad Money's back in for the break. Coming up, as earnings season ramps up, where can you find the bull market? Kramer goes off the charts to find out next. Support for this program is provided by Chevron. Demand for energy is projected to continue rising in the future. To help keep up, Chevron is increasing their U.S. oil and gas production, and they're innovating to help do it responsibly across their operations, including their Gulf of Mexico facilities, which are some of the world's lowest carbon intensity operations, helping supply energy that's affordable, reliable, and ever cleaner. That's energy in progress. Learn more at chevron.com slash meeting demand. Now is the time to bring new ideas to your industry. And T-Mobile for Business has the advanced 5G solutions to make that happen. We're helping rethink patient-doctor interactions with real-time data sharing. We're tracking carbon with 5G sensors to help fight climate change. We're partnering with cities to connect roadways, cars, and drivers to minimize injuries. Disruptive thinking deserves a disruptive partner. So let's get started on what's next for your business. Step up your innovation at T-Mobile.com slash now. You may not even recall after a terrible day like today, but the year did get off with a bang, with a huge rally in the first couple of weeks. But now that earnings season is upon us, we're pulling back hard. You never want to come into earnings season too hot because it sets the stage for disappointment, even if the underlying numbers are good. And regular viewers know I do have some reservations about this earnings season in particular. You know, I don't like tech. But really what we're seeing here is a pivot toward a market that's driven more by the action in individual stocks than by the big-picture economic data that drives the Federal Reserve. We're getting a brief Fed reprieve here, at least until we get closer to the next meeting at the end of the month. Although today's decline shows that when you get softer data, it may keep the Fed from tightening too much, 
but it also provides evidence that the economy might have a hard landing. That was a big thesis for today. And we got to avoid that at all costs. Now, this is a bad news is good news market still because of the Fed. But if it gets bad enough, as people thought it was today, and I don't know we're there yet, well, let's just say you get a lot of days like today. I don't think we're there yet. For now, what matters are individual earnings reports and conference calls. But those are all over the place. And more important, it's hard to tell which reports Wall Street will take its cue from. I mean, we had a great example yesterday. We spent a lot of time on it. We got a terrific set of numbers from Morgan Stanley. But it was paired with an awful set of numbers from Goldman Sachs. I I don't know about you, but I, I just thought all anyone cared about was Goldman. Given that the market came into earnings season pretty overbought, the negative Nancy's won the day. I have to tell you, my chapel trust owns this Morgan Stanley. Wow, it was a great quarter. So right now we need a better sense of which way the market might lean over the course of not just this week, but the whole of earnings season. That's why tonight we're going off the charts with the help of Jess Ginskip. She's a brilliant technician. She was the first woman on the active trader desk at Fidelity for becoming the director of advanced trade, trader strategy at Merrill Self Direct. Now she's the director of product and education at Options Play but she still consults with all the major brokerage firms in the self-directed space. Plus, you can see her every Tuesday on Fidelity's weekly options trading show. It's called In the Money. Remember, back in early December, Inskip warned us that the market might be in for a bumpy ride about a week before the big mid-December sell-off. She nailed it, which is why I wanted to bring her back on for today. What does she see now? All right, take a look at the daily chart of the S&P 500. Inskip points out that the earnings season often a source of volatility. There's no coherent narrative. So you tend to get a lot of strong rallies and strong declines while trading all around. Now, the S&P 500 has been stuck in a downturn for uh, over a year at this point. No kidding, huh? You can see the downtrend line has been acting as a ceiling of resistance. Really remarkable uh, for this market ever since the Fed declared its crusade against inflation back in November of 2021. We've never really been able to break through this incredible ceiling. Titanium, even though there have been occasional bounces that took us pretty close. Almost, almost. And Skip notes that when you look at the last two earnings cycles, they all led to pretty powerful rallies, as the numbers came in better than feared thanks to a resilient consumer. So you see this, and then you see this, okay? But both of these runs came to a halt below the downtrend line that I just mentioned, as Wall Street started worrying about the Fed again. The market could only be so good when we knew Jay Powell was going to keep bringing the pain. This time might be different, though, because Inskip says we're not in the same setup as we were here or here. Look where we were when the second and third quarter earnings season started. The S&P was very close to the low end of the trading range. We were in the valley of despair. Then earnings season got a little rocky before eventually propelling us higher. This time, though, Inskip points out that when fourth quarter earnings season got rolling, the S&P 500 was already right, right below the ceiling of resistance created by the downtrend line. While we pulled back over the last couple of days of a few important quarters coming stronger than expected, Inskip could see the S&P potentially breaking out to the upside because it's so close right now. It's a whole new ball game. Is it likely? Oh, how about this? The Jaguars, uh, they came back from 27 to nothing against the Chargers when they shouldn't even been in the playoffs. Maybe it's safe to expect the unexpected. Plus, the S&P is currently well above the, the, its 50-day moving average. The 50-day is the red. We see that. It's well above it right here, even after today, which has been trending higher for nearly two months. For Chargers, that, you know, that's a pretty encouraging side. And even if things turn ugly, like we have more days like today, Inskip notes we got a floor of support formed by the market's bottom in October, okay, right here, 
where it stabilized late last month. This is the floor that propped us up when the market got clobbered in mid-December, a floor that turned into a springboard for the early January rally. Okay, now let's remove some of the noise and check out the S&P weekly chart. Now, first, I want to look at the moving average convergence divergence or MACD line right down here. This is what we're going to focus on for a moment. Remember, that is an important momentum indicator that can help predict changes in the trajectory of the market ahead of time. Ever since the MACD fired off a buy signal in October, so let's jump to here, uh, where the dark line crossed above the, red, the light line, we've had a terrific run. Inskip points out that we're looking at what's known as a bullish divergence here. Even when the S&P makes new lows, the MACD keeps making higher highs. MACD, MACD pretty good here, right? Versus what you've seen all the way around here. You know, and that's a genuinely positive sign. But in this big but, there are some negatives here, too. The S&P is running up against that ceiling of resistance created by the 50-week moving average. I don't like to see that. You know, you can see that we just are just not. It, well, it, nothing's perfect. The indicator that many are looking at. Then there's this thing called the Ichimoku cloud. You see these green and red lines? A lot of my friends who are technicians like this thing. They're part of a technical tool that combines a host of moving averages to give you an at-a-glance read of the situation. Right now, it's still red. No, not a good situation. Uh, it's also above us, acting as another ceiling of resistance. In short, Inskip thinks we need a catalyst to break through this level and turn things around. Without a positive catalyst, she's not feeling sanguine. But this is earnings season where catalysts abound. Finally, we need to talk about the area I don't like. Check. Because bear markets rally, the rallies tend to be led by the worst performing sector, tech, and lagged by the best performing sector, in this case, energy. Most of the techs uh, and the energy companies report next week and the week after and the, the two busiest weeks of the earnings season. So take again at the, what's known as the XLK. That's the Technology Select Sector Spider ETF. Real mouthful there. Uh, according to Inscape, if we want to have, a, to have a rally, want a rally to have legs in this environment, we need tech. Right now, the XLK is just under 130 and is looking at the 50-week uh, moving average. Okay. So it's kind of pretty low. Uh, it, before it hits the first ceiling resistance, with the Ichimoku cloud giving us another ceiling above that. Remember, that's the at-a-glance technical tool I mentioned earlier. So there's still some room for tech to lead us higher here, even after the staggering runs over the past couple of weeks. Remember, we did have seven straight days of NASDAQ go up for today. But in the end, we need better than feared earnings before we can get a breakout. And I told you, I don't think we're going to get them. Here's the bottom line. The charts interpreted by Jess Ginskip suggest that we're all at a very important moment where the S&P 500 found an equilibrium between the floor of support and a ceiling resistance. At this point, something has to give. And that means this earnings season could be proved to be especially decisive. Good numbers could give us more upside than we've seen from the last few quarters, but bad ones might mean the S&P heads right back down to the low end of the range. And it looks like, even as I disagree, there's no in-between. Let's take phone calls. Let's go to Sonny in Illinois. Sonny! Jimmy Chill, a big Chicago Windy City booyah to you, my friends. And Benny's Liquor booyah back at you, if you don't mind. <laughs> My favorite place. Hey, listen, I want to yeah. take the time and thank you for um, educating and entertaining us little investors. Well, you know, first, I just say you're not little. I mean, that's the kind of stuff that I got to discourage. We're all the same well, size. Just some of them got bigger mouths, you know. 
we're little compared to your buddies at Goldman, you know. <laughs> yeah, I left only the buddies. I mean, I know Solomon. I, I could probably name three people at Goldman. There's like 40,000. <laughs> hey, there were 973 people at Goldman when I left. Pretty wow. interesting, huh? Well, so go ahead. Yeah, Let's go to work. Well, listen, um, I wanted to talk to you about a company that's been saving lives for the past couple of years during the uh, pandemic. Uh, a couple of analysts have downgraded Pfizer recently. Is now the time to build a position or should I wait for a couple more analysts to downgrade and possibly get it even cheaper? Okay, I think that you're getting cheaper right here. I listened to Dr. Borla be interviewed by Sarah Eisen this morning around 5 a.m. our time, and I felt he had a lot of great things to say. Now, it does yield 3.6. It's yielded four times. I buy some here, and then I buy some if it yields four again, uh, because this is a good story. And Borla talked about something almost like 20 new compounds coming. I sound, thought it sounded very exciting. I was going to say, let's buy it for uh, my travel trust, but boy, we got a lot of drug stocks. Anyway, thank you for those comments. Though. The charts is interpreted by Jessica Inskip, suggests that we're at an important moment, crucial moment. The S&P 500 has found an equilibrium between its floral support and cilium resistance. That means this earning season is one to watch. The results could prove to be decisive. I think it's decisive for some and not others. Much more mad money. Does J.B. Hunt have what it takes to help your portfolio cruise higher after earnings, or is it a learning lesson, or both? I'm running through the company's quarterly report. Then COVID changed our lives as we know it. But as we emerge from the depths of the pandemic, how should it change your investment strategy? Maybe you just look around and see. And all your calls rapid fire in tonight's edition of the Lightning Round. So stay with Kramer. Whenever I try to teach people how to pick stocks, I always start with a conference call. If you can go through a major company's conference call, you can learn a lot about that company and, more importantly, its industry, everything connected to that industry. It's part of what I call the craft, meaning the skill set you need if you're going to manage your own portfolio. Rather than just sticking in an index fund, not that I mind that, as I do for my own retirement money. Today, J.B. Hunt, now, come on, that's America's fourth largest trucker. Don't tell me you've never heard of it. It's behind UPS, FedEx, and XPO. But it put on a clinic for all to see today. Highly educational call, and for me, downright electric. First lesson from that call is when we get a lot during earnings season, please wait until you can listen to the darn conference call before you take action. This morning, J.B. Hunt's stock was down a huge 5% before the market opened after reporting sharply lower than expected sales and earnings. And that was with the market looking great. These numbers were plug ugly. They made a buck ninety-two in earnings per share. Street was looking for two forty-four, and that's on top of a two hundred million dollar revenue shortfall. There were hardly any positive lines in the release, so the traders panicked and sold it before the market even opened. But as I always tell you, not so fast. When the call started just before the market opened and the averages tanked, J.B. Hunt stock started to reverse in pre-market trading. And then the market opened, J.B. Hunt opened higher, not lower. It ended up edging out Moderna to be the best performer of the entire day in the S&P 500, up $8.73. And to think that Moderna just announced a revolutionary vaccine for RSV, which is a deadly virus people often get when they're stuck in the hospital. Let's see. Let's figure this out. A potential blockbuster vaccine versus a trucking company that announced a vicious shortfall. Today, we got evidence that Moderna might end up being a major drug company, yet its stock actually did worse than the fourth largest trucker that just reported an earnings implosion. And if you own J.B. Hunt, you could have captured that gain simply by patiently waiting through the call. 
Second lesson, you have to know the history of a stock to understand the earnings situation and know whether to buy it or sell it. Back in March of last year, not long before it reported, J.B. Hunt made a new high at $218. And then it just plummeted. A month later, the company reported a set of magnificent numbers. Monster upside surprise, almost as good as today's quarter was bad. Trucking rates were soaring. Demand from overseas was incredible. Drivers were in such short supply they had to pay up for them. These were the halcyon days for the trucking industry, where J.B. Hunt is the leader. Tremendous company, amazing management. But those numbers didn't make a bit of difference because the stock market is a forecasting machine. Professional money managers had no interest in that phenomenal quarter because to them, it represented the peak of the trucking cycle, the last good quarter, and it was all downhill from there. And they knew it was going downhill because that's what happens when the Fed tightens aggressively. Sure enough, the stock kept sinking all the way down to $154. Long story short, J.B. Hunt peaked in March of 2022 when their business was on fire. And then the stock plunged from 218 to 154 in a matter of months, even as this period included a tremendous quarter. Of course, you didn't need secret insider knowledge to recognize what the real problem here is. You could have seen the cracks in the business if you knew where to look, which were the spot market trucking prices, the one-off trips, and those were available everywhere. I gave them to you. What caused the peak? It turned out that when it came right, right the peak came right when the consumer switched tastes. It's just when they shifted. We went from buying stock to cope with the stay-at-home economy to spending money on services as collectively realized it was finally safe to go out since COVID. As the spring came, the shift accelerated. Travel, leisure, and entertainment outside the house exploded. COVID as a deadly threat was over for most people thanks to the vaccine. It was time to live it up because life, alas, is too short. But hardly any merchants saw this coming. They'd gotten used to endless demand for stay-at-home goods to the point where they kept anxiously ordering and ordering and then double-ordering the stuff. They wanted to meet the consumer's demand, especially with hard goods made overseas. Manufacturers could not get enough product. The big megatechs couldn't put up enough data centers fast enough. Turned out that there was a classic inventory bill going on for everything from appliances to decking to plumbing to dining room tables, office furniture, personal computers. And then demand dried up dried up suddenly. And, and everybody was stuck with tons of excess inventory. Real bad news for the truckers who service the retailers. It's taken ages to work off that inventory. It sure didn't help that the Fed kept raising interest rates either, making it much more expensive for people to buy stuff on credit. Eventually, though, all inventory gluts come to an end when retailers stop ordering and stop, start cutting prices aggressively to unload their excess merchandise. All right, so why do I bring up this whole economics class? Because J.B. Hunt's stock peaked before its business peaked. And going forward, you better believe the stock will bottom before the business bottoms. And for the trucking business to bottom, the inventory glut needs to end, and it's going to. Which brings us back to the conference call. While J.B. Hunt's numbers were awful, and the call management intimated several times that the inventory glut was almost over. Oh, it was ugly. Multiple references to freight volumes being pressured more than anyone thought. Unseasonably soft demand as compared to prior quarters of the year, explained CFO John Kulo in what I thought was an understatement. But there were green shoots, too, and that's what I look for. I like this line from Chief Operating Officer Nicholas Hobbs. Quote, demand for big and bulky product, including appliances, furniture, and exercise equipment, has moderated some, as the headlines might suggest. But we have seen strength in our fulfillment business, with all price retailers seeing lots of opportunities with discounted inventory in the channel. End quote. You know what that's about? 
The inventory correction, it's ending. The inventory glide is ending. And while J.B. Hunt doesn't give you a forecast, told you that many times, you could glean plenty from the question and answer session with analysts. As senior exec Bradley Hicks said, quote, we do expect sometime, maybe in the second quarter, going into third quarter, with inventory resets, we would fully expect to see the freight market rebound, end quote. They aren't sure when, but the back half of the year should be better. The company's president, Shelley Simpson, said, quote, we have confidence from what our customers are giving us and the data points that have, that they have. Translation, okay. Just like the stock peaked when J.B. Hunt was putting up magnificent numbers, the stock bottomed today because the numbers are hideous. Anyone who sold the stock down 5% this morning learned the hard way, the lesson. You'll never do that again. The bottom line, you never would have recognized the trucking bottom if you only looked at J.B. Hunt's earnings release. You had to listen to the conference call, get the full picture and the history. The stock may not go up another eight points tomorrow, best performer in the S&P, but at least you know now why it went up that much today. Their money's back at the break. Coming up, Kramer wants to hear from you. Your calls on the thunderous lightning round, next. So your calls right before I tell you about my back so something just to go on another calls when you plan it out. And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready, Ski Dad? Time for the lightning round, Craig. Let's start with Craig in Kansas. Craig. Hello, Jim. Thank you for taking my call. I'm interested of course, in your, any information you can get me on SoFi. I well, there was a report that-, that came out earlier this week that said that they are, like many other banks, struggling with the idea that rates went up really fast. Uh, much quicker than they were ready for. I don't know. We, we should have Anthony back on. Anthony Noto's the CEO. Let's go to Brian in South Carolina. Brian. Hey, Jim. How are you? I am good, Brian. How about you? Uh, doing great. Uh, you had done a segment on a small oil and gas company uh, maybe eight or nine months ago, and I started a position uh, last month on the pullback, and it looks technically like it wants to break out. Um uh, Unfortunately, they seem to be doing all the right things, but there's no real analyst coverage on the stock. Okay. And okay. so my stock is High Peak Energy, HPK. Oh, high Peak's a very inexpensive stock versus every single other oil company. I think you got a good idea. Just had a little bit of move up, but I do like it very much. Tad, North Carolina, Tad. Oh, yeah, Jim from the Tar Heel State. I oh, good to have you on the show. What's up? Their technology seems revolutionary. This is an organ- amazing company. It helps people having organ failure. The stock had a big spike up because of the way it was presented at J.P. Morgan, the conference earlier this week. I wait for a little bit of pullback, but I think this is a total winner. Let's go to John in Ohio. John. Jim, how you doing? I'm doing well. How about you? That's good, good, thanks. Love your show. Hey, I'm a long-term investor, and with that in mind, I'm calling about Virgin Galactic. Um, they announced their flights are resuming. They got $1.1 billion in cash, no debt, um, significant customer backlog, and the 22% of, the, of the, sh- the shares are shorted. And so I'm long-term looking at this. Is Virgin Galactic get You, you know, John, to- i got to tell you, as, you, as I listened to you say it, I was no, I, I kind of never thought I'd say this, but I suspect that sounds darn good if they got a billion in cash and a clean balance sheet that got some customers. You know what? There could be a squeeze going there. I don't encourage short squeezes, but I think you might have a winner. Let's go to Mandy and Merrill. Mandy. Hi, Jim. Mandy, oh, you're yeah. up. Hi. All right. How are you doing, Mandy? I'm doing well. How are you? 
I, I'm doing well. Thank you for asking. Oh, thank you for taking my call. A shout of course. out to you and your crew. Uh, All right. My grandson and I love your show. Big fan. Aw, tell him thank you. Thank you. Uh, I'm thinking of taking a position in BHP, or do you think in a set it's better if I... Well, look, why don't we wait until after tomorrow? I'll call a reporter really bad number tonight. People are going to associate that with BHP, so it's going to get caught up in a maelstrom of negativity. Wait a couple of days, and then I think you can pull the trigger. I like your ideas. I like your thoughts. I like your grandchild. Let's go to Sam in Colorado. Sam! Jim, how are you? Oh, Sam, I'm doing good. How about you? I'm doing all right. How about them birds? They're doing pretty well. Go birds. Don't want to get too excited because so I'm Jim. from Philly and I don't want to get depressed. What's up? <laughs> so, Jim, my question is on one of the, one of those great companies out there. Seems to be really well positioned in this environment where input costs are coming down, yet, you know, consumer prices remain stable. Got a question about Unilever. Unilever's a good company. You're not going to go wrong with Unilever. I think it's a very well-run company. It's got good people on the board. I think it's going to be good. It's not going to, but it's not going to run overnight. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the conclusion of the Lightning Round. The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. Coming up, does the phrase, since COVID, sound familiar? Kramer explains how your investments change with the facts of life. Cynics love to laugh when I talk about something like our life is too short theory of investing. Even though that's the mentality of the American consumer in this post-pandemic world, they dismiss the incredible numbers from the airlines, the amazing revenues from the theme parks, or the endlessly rising price of plane tickets or resort reservations, especially if they're in the wilderness or national parks. Anyone who can't see this trend is fooling themselves. Good investing requires a recognition of what's actually happening all around you. As I said this morning, when Ulta Beauty stock was busy hitting new highs, you need to know the zeitgeist. Right now, the zeitgeist is that people want to go out, not just because they're sick of being shut in for two years and now they want to go out and look their selfie best, but also because they're afraid life is passing them by. They might have lost a relative to COVID, maybe needlessly given the incredible advances made by our drug companies. Maybe they feel their job is horrendous. And they finally saved enough to retire, take a permanent vacation. It's not like this is a news story. In the aftermath of World War I and the Spanish flu epidemic, we got the Roaring Twenties. That was right there for you to see. Now we're seeing the same thing because life is too short. Why is this principle so hard to grasp? As a hard-bitten veteran of this business for more than 40 years, I know why. Wall Street's great at predicting the small things. Looks like Microsoft's going to miss its quarter. Apple's got more demand than we thought. Time to rotate out of defenses and into the more aggressive growth stocks. But it's not so good at intangibles. And the zeitgeist is as intangible as it gets. You can't fit life is too short into a spreadsheet. Sometimes, though, you have to recognize a sea change when you see it. I remember when we first got personal computers. I visited my old college roommate for a time, Steve Ballmer. Yes, former CEO of Microsoft back in 1986. And he showed me something amazing. Email. He said, one day this will be the way people communicate. I didn't believe him, at least at first. Then I sure came around to it. The concept helped me make a fortune during the 90s tech boom. Email changed your life. That's what it did. Years later, I was just starting the street.com, and I met, someone, uh, met with someone, again from Microsoft, who told me that one day we'd be seeing short and long-form video on the web. So be prepared for it. I thought he was a dreamer. But when Netflix went from disc in the mail to watch online, I was there. It changed your life. That's what I did. It happened. 
When I wrote my first book, I was interviewed by Amazon. I wanted to meet with people from Barnes & Noble and Borders, too. I flew out to Ann Arbor, spent a day with the people from Borders, nice people. But the books were mostly sold on Amazon. I couldn't believe it. Borders went under. Amazon changed your life. That's what it did. The problem now is to recognize that the most common words you hear, no matter where you go, no matter what country you're in, no matter what age group you associate with, the number of times you hear, you say, since COVID is extraordinary. The completion of the sentence usually goes something like this. I have to make up for the time I have on Earth. I've been given a gift of living. I've got to go somewhere. I have to go see the world. Whether they're talking theme parks or the wilderness or Paris or Machu Picchu. COVID changed your life. That's what it did. So while it's more ethereal than email or long-form online video or e-commerce, it's just as meaningful. It's not going to go away because the pandemic transformed everything. That's what it did. And we need to invest that way, just like we did with those other sea changes, because it will be just as rewarding. I like to say there's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise you i find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer. See you tomorrow. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America.